will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Come on! Get in there, Maverick! It's no good. Cornelius and I have been indicted for heresy. It is evil. It is so evil. It is a bad, bad plan. Hello, children. We're back. <laughs> Did you miss us? <laughs> we are back. I hope so, because we missed you, and we are going to have fun today. And yes, I said we. It is me, the crazy voices in my head. Lou's over there. Yep, yep. I cannot vouch for or against the crazy voices in his head, so you're on your own on that one. <laughs> but we are here to tell you that that word does not mean what you think it means. Nice. <laughs> nice segue. Yep. And we are going to have fun. We have, we have a tweet thread that is basically a, a, a small blog post. But it is fascinating because it is from this guy that I've never heard of. Yeah, I've never heard of him either. Who tells you you should read your Bible in Hebrew and then he's going to tell you why. Now, okay, warning. Usually tweet threads, I was just telling Lou a few minutes ago, usually my checkout point is like low double digits and by 20 you lose me. And this dude goes on for like 40 tweets. Yeah, I was surprised that I was like reading. When is yeah, this going like, to end? Why won't it stop? It just won't stop. But I was so invested because I had to know where it was going. Mm-hmm. So we are going to have fun going through this because I have a pet peeve. And it is a pet peeve in, let's see, it is a pet peeve about intent more than function. Okay? Right. My pet peeve is word studies. Not because of what they are, but because of how people use them. So that's what I mean when I say intent versus function. Okay? If your intention behind a word study is so that you can kind of get a more robust understanding of how something appears in Scripture to help you understand something that's not making sense, that's fine. If your intent with a word study is to build a theology... You have done something terribly wrong. Terribly, horribly, no good, very bad wrong. Okay? Right. Alexander is shaking his head at you. Wasn't that the kid in those books? When did Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day? <laughs> I don't remember that book. I'm sorry. I don't think I've ever read it, but I just remember seeing it in the library when I was in school. So, <clears throat> so and the reason I say that is because, okay, if you have learned nothing, nothing from us, you should at least be able to tell me the number one rule when understanding and interpreting your Bible. What is the number one thing you have to pay attention to first above all else? It is context, context, context. That's where I thought you were going with it. Because that's the only way you're going to really try and understand what the author is saying. Yes! Because words, depending on their context, can have different nuanced meanings. Yes. But... See, this is why, like, the one of the scourges mm-hmm. of the late 90s and early 2000s of evangelical Christianity was the Amplified Bible. Because what the Amplified Bible did was it gave you the entirety of the semantic range of various words and various passages. Mm-hmm. And that's where the whole thing would be like, oh, look, it's the power of God. Dunamis is the word we get from dynamite. It's the explosive salvation of God, man. You know you heard that sermon. You did. <laughs> 
and he had on skinny jeans, <laughs> and there was spotlighting. Yeah. And there was purple lighting over the band as they slowly strummed in the background. That's so funny. You're speaking because no, you're, you're right though. I have I have heard that sermon. Yes. I don't know, but yeah, definitely skinny jeans. Yes. Yeah. It's brutal. It's definitely. brutal, and I hate everyone who did it. Every single one of them. Mm-hmm. All of them. All of the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a <clears throat> excuse me. That's a silly example, but it proves the point that just because the word can mean something doesn't mean it does mean that okay right so the power of god does not mean the dynamite of god your the salvific work of god is not exploding your mind man okay that's that was fast times at ridgemont high not jesus which i know sean penn with the hair could be confused on occasion but you know yeah for sure sean penn i remember man this is down this is like a trip down memory lane yeah, here with this you. Yeah, this is messed up here. Yeah, and then, yeah. What has happened? This is what happens when you let me like leave town and then things get busy. So, <sighs> why? Stop making noise, computer. The computer is fighting with me today. It has now popped up three different things, and I want it to stop all of them. <laughs> so, that's a bad example. The other problem you have with things like the entirety of the semantic range is you'll go, well, the word means, it can mean this. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I'm going to impart that meaning into the context. There's a problem with that. The context determines which definition in the semantic range you use, not the other way around. So if you're using the word study to try to figure out what the word means, you're probably going in the wrong direction unless you're very, very careful. Mm -hmm. And as you're doing that word study, you're taking into account the other contexts that you encounter as you go. You know what I recommend for people who don't study the Greek and the Hebrew, like perhaps you or I have, or even been trained in it, is have multiple translations of the Bible to get somewhat of an idea of what scholars have traditionally thought of when they, and a word for word, translation it's actually mostly. a really cheap and easy it's yeah. almost cheating yeah. way of doing your own fast word study because right. good translations so let's run down the list of good um formal equivalence translation so yeah. okay you know what we should stop right there shouldn't i yeah we should probably discuss okay. that a little we've bit we've covered this before but i will do this quick and dirty okay right you have a range of translational philosophies ranging from the word to word which is called formal equivalence, ranging to the thought-for-thought, idea-for-idea, which is called dynamic equivalence, okay? Neither is perfect, neither is exact, because both Greek and Hebrew can have funky word orders that are not allowed in English. So you cannot preserve word order always. Greek has a tendency to speak to you like Yoda. Right. And you can't do that in English. So you're while you're keeping word to word in the New Testament, you do have to rearrange the word order into English. Otherwise, the sentence wouldn't make sense. Right. And there are words, let's just face it, in Greek and in Hebrew that don't translate very well. That Correct. have to be, even in our formal equivalent Bibles, Correct. They, they, they have to use some kind of a dynamic interpretation yes. of, of those difficult words. But in general, there are very word few of word. them, and there's yeah. not a problem. So, right. on the more word for word, your more formal equivalence, right. you're going. I stop me if I'm wrong, but I think the two traditional gold standards on that in English are the NASB and the ESV. Oh yeah, for Good. sure. I mean, so, I've I've heard scholars say that so, the NASB is like a pony; it'll get you right into the the so actual languages. Pick which one you yeah. prefer best. If you're uh, if you prefer readability, the ESV usually wins out in that regard. Um, sliding 
okay. Sliding maybe just below those, so like one, if those two are one, then one A category would be things like what the Net Bible, mm -hmm. um, the New Legacy Standard Bible. Uh, right along in those lines would be things like the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which is now just what the Christian Standard Bible is yes, what they've gone to. Yeah. Yep. Um, the New King James would fall into that category. The King James would fall into that category. There's some question about the underlying manuscripts, but that's another topic for another day. For sure. But they would fall into that category as well. There's probably several other. The RSV probably falls into that to that range as well. Yes. If you move towards the middle of the scale, you're more in lines with things like the NIV. Yeah, yeah. And then as you move farther down the line, you're on things like the NLT and then like the messages in a Bible. Don't read the message. It's bad for you. <laughs> it's a commentary. Yeah. Maybe not even the greatest at that. So, and of course, there's there's a thousand translations. Have fun. But used to be, and you know what? Google it. There's there, there's charts on this everywhere. They'll slot whatever Bible translation you're looking up. Like there's um there used to be this one that I would look at called Young's Literal Translations from the 19th century. Yeah, yeah, that's and, what that is. And that's very it's a word handy for word. sometimes because he will even get let, allow the English to be out of order on occasion just to try to to work it out. Very so, literal wooden translation. Yeah. So if you do that, recognize that all of those translations were done by committees. Meaning scholars, plural, sat down, emailed each other, talked about it, hashed it out, came to a consensus, and that's what they picked. Right. So by consulting, back to our original point before we took this little exit ramp, by consulting different translations, you are getting a consensus of that group of scholars. And typically they're listed in the Bible you know, that you're reading somewhere in the beginning. Right. You're getting a consensus of that group. So if you compare, just, okay, we'll just do three, quick and easy. So if you compare an NASB, a New King James, and an ESV, you're going to get a consensus of probably approaching what? 75 to 100 scholars? Oh, at least. At least. On what they think is the best English translation of that word. That'll give you an idea of what the PhDs and the linguists think this word means in that context. That's, that's exactly how I would do it. Now, there are some... And if you're... Uh, uh, real quick, I will plug a website go dig it up i can't you know i need i should I probably should have looked it up beforehand there is actually a website it's an interlinear you can find the greek and hebrew it's an interlinear website and right. it'll pull it up directly for you free of charge doesn't cost you a thing it's beautiful because it helps you keep things in um scriptureforall.org okay i think I, I think i've heard of that one <laughs> scripture for all they'll yeah. give you a uh, it's it gives you a quick little interlinear will help you you know, to understand because um, they will also conjugate the word for you, and that'll help you understand why the translation decisions were, were what they were. So, let's say it was a, a plural, a noun, you know, verb, you know, what what tense it's in, and things like that. Yep. If you really want to go a little farther along, so I, I mean, I, I've had I think four years of Greek and Hebrew, and I'm telling you, I'm still like a baby mm -hmm. as far as my understanding. I can't speak the languages. I can't yep. read fluently from the languages. And this is, I mean, I've made it almost a career of biblical study. So I cringe when I see some of these word studies out there and how they're being propagated and how people are putting so much weight on them. So I'm glad we're talking about this today, Michael, because this yeah. is like one of my passions too. Oh, I, I, when I saw this, I'm like, I'm sending this to Lou. He's yeah. going to love this. Yeah. So, you know, we might, we might, we might grieve, we, we might revisit Mr. Uh, Mr. R.A. Lamb again, just to, <laughs> you know, see. Yeah. So if you would like to follow at home, turn to your Bibles to Genesis 4. 
because we're ready. This is where it, I don't know any other good way to do this other than to say we're just gonna dive in and see where we get. Okay. 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 I'm just trying to stake see if I can find a way to prop my phone up because it doesn't want to cooperate with me right now. Um, why read the Bible in Hebrew? Excellent question, Mr. Lamb. Let's talk about the most famous murder in human history, the story of Cain and Abel. You almost need like, dun-dun-dun. I can just hear it, yeah. In order to understand it, we'll need to unpack one of the most mysterious words in the entire Bible. Oh, boy. Okay. He, he had me there. I was like, whoa. I'm hooked. Yeah. First of all, let me just, what, what's going to happen is I'm going to read these tweet by tweet. Comments will come as relevant. Mm-hmm. It's not mysterious, but we'll continue, okay? Just a refresher. We have two brothers, Cain the older and Abel the younger. They each bring an offering to God. But while Abel brings his best stuff, Cain does not. See, we got to stop right there. Mm-hmm. What's the problem with that sentence? For those of you that know your Bible context, what's the problem with that sentence? The Bible doesn't say that. Right, 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 right. So, let's see. So, now the man had relations with his wife, Eve. I'm away from the tweet thread. I'm in Genesis 4. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering of the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became angry, and his countenance fell. Now, does it make a point to say that Abel offered of the firstlings? Yes, but that doesn't mean best. Right. It's talking about the offering, which would have been not sheep, but lamb. Mm -hmm. If you're going with that critter. Right. It makes no qualifications on the quality of the offering. Now, could there be something wrong with the offering? Yes, but what was regarded? Abel and his offering. Right. What was disregarded? Cain and his offering. Yeah, there's something. There was there was something wrong with the heart of what Cain was now, offering and how. Is there a possibility that this is the wrong offering by Cain in hubris and pride? It could be, but it doesn't could really be. say. Could be, but it doesn't yeah. say that. That's yeah. what I said. Is it a possibility? Yes. Should we be dogmatic about possibilities? Definitely not. Probably not. <laughs> so, more than likely, the origination of the problem is not in the offering. It is in the heart of the offerer, which right. would be consistent with pretty much the entirety of Scripture. Right. Right? What was that? Whack the table. Yeah. So, we're not off to a good start for Mr. Read Your Bible in Hebrew because he's added to it. And when God favors Abel's, Cain gets jealous and kills his brother. He tries and fails to hide his crime. It's a classic biblical tragedy, but what's the takeaway? Is it just meant to be a bummer? Brother can't live with brother? Envy and murder is our lot? Life is nasty, brutish, and short? That's it? I think the answer lies in one Hebrew word from the text, Tashuka, which if for no other reason is really fun to say. Tashuka. Which, doesn't that sound like a kind of bar you would go to in Israel? Hey man, we're going to go down to the Tashuka this week. You coming? Put your Jersey accent on that. Yeah. But doesn't it sound like that? Yeah. Like there's there's dudes on mats wearing (laughs) turbans, like, you know, eating eating chunks of meat off a platter. This sounds like a thing, doesn't it? It does. There's couscous and, you know, barley bread. Have such a 
I mean, we're opening a Tashuka. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Any investors want to invest in the Tashuka, we're going to get really nice rugs. Really nice, yeah. And we'll have little lanterns, and we'll serve, like, grilled lamb chunks on cutting boards along with, like, barley bread and, you know, like, some other grains that can be eaten with the fingers, you know? It's like, like sounds yellow. like we would be a hit. This this is gonna be awesome. We'll get those little couches they sit like where you're like on the floor, but not really. You know what I'm talking about? Right. Yes. It'd be this is a win. This is a win. Nobody's gonna know what Tashuka means. That you'd be like, hey man, we are going to the Tashuka. I'm in. Unless we it's, have a native speaker show up, and, and, and he'll just laugh and think it's hysterical, especially yeah. when you realize what the word actually does mean. Because I think that fits. Right. I think that fits. I'm I'm in. Come on. Who's with me? Um, I'm with you. I'm Jerry Maguire. Who's coming with me? <laughs> okay, so this word is super rare. It's not just rare. It's super rare. It actually only occurs three times in the entire Bible, which would be super rare, but not super, super rare. We do have things known as hapax legomenon, which are words that occur only one time. Oh, sure. And there are several of those, many, 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 many of them in the Old Testament because Hebrew is just the most miserable language to learn if you are not a native speaker. It is. No, be honest. It oh, is. Oh, you're right. It's it hard. Is. It's definitely harder the than The vowels Greek. don't make any sense. The reading is backwards. The semantic range possibilities of words are nearly endless. Yeah, the, the you roots. Take and, the, and, the roots that yeah. get the prefixes and the suffixes. And then, like, if you get a dot wrong, you just went from, like, asking a woman to marrying you to calling her, like, the daughter of goat people. It's it's unbelievably complex <laughs> and annoying. You know I'm right. You are so it's, right. It's brutal. Yeah. It's, it's Two funny. dots, it's an O when we're in love forever. Three dots, it's an E, and I just told her father to jump in the creek. I mean, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Right. So, right. So, so, so is it a rare word? Yes. But in order to understand it, even just to translate it, we're going to have to look at all three occurrences. But before that, let's back up a bit and talk about Cain. We remember Cain as one of the primordial villains of Genesis, in contrast to righteous Abel. But if you read the text carefully, it doesn't quite set things up that way. Take their names, for example. This is where the Hebrew will help us right away. Hmm. Spoiler alert, no it isn't. Cain's name is given by Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have required Kaniti, a man with et, the Lord. What does this mean? Well, the name Cain, Cain in Hebrew, sounds like the word acquired Kaniti. Sort of, but that's a stretch. Mm-hmm. This is the problem with word oh, studies. This is, is so bad. Yeah. Is we've gone from Cain to Kaniti. Mm-hmm. Now, are they? Do they have similar roots? That's the root that I'm talking about. Well, yes, there, there is. There, Hebrew is famous for doing things like that. Like uh, in, in the New Testament, just for an example, when the angel comes to Miriam and says, "You shall name him Yeshua, for he will Yeshua his people." Uh-huh. So, you know, you'll name him Savior. Or salvation yes. versus where he will save. save. So that's kind of what Hebrew does, but I, I don't see that here. No, because it's not there. It's not there. It's not no. there. We're chasing ghosts right here. <sighs> you can see the profundity right away. Yeah, no, no, I can't. <laughs> I'm, I'm confused already. This is the first act yeah. of creation in history in which a human being participates. What, Adam didn't have a rib? That ribs don't count as participation. Look, look, look. I he was been, sleeping. I have been to some awesome barbecues. Ribs always count as participation. <laughs> That's so funny. You look. can't eat ribs without getting them everywhere. It can't right, be done. Not yeah. if they're good. Well, I know. You'll be, you'll be covered in sauce. See? See? 
You can feel Eve's awe as she brings Cain into the world. Wonder at her partnership with God. So Cain's name is a mark of closeness to God. And Abel? Well, in Hebrew, Abel means nothing. And I mean that literally. Remember that famous refrain from Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity? Know what the word vanity or something meaningless is? Hevel. Know what Abel's name is in Hebrew? You guessed it. Abel's name literally means meaningless. Now, let's have some fun. Christian, who's aware of the Proto-Evangelion and the entirety of the course of your Bible, why would they have been so excited about Cain and not have cared so much about Abel? What are they waiting for? Yeah. They're waiting for the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent. That's where's, interesting. Where's that hope going to be found? Ooh, here it is. Why is Abel disregarded? Well, Abel's not disregarded. He's just not viewed as the fulfillment of the promise. Right. He's a fulfillment of the work. Remember, we're still being fruitful and multiplying and filling and subduing the earth here. Cain is the yeah. son of promise in this instance. Abel is not. He's the son of work. Now, that's also why Seth is so highly regarded because with Cain and Abel both gone, Cain is no longer able to fulfill the promise. Abel is dead. Seth is the replacement, meaning God has not forsaken his people and God has not forgotten his promise in spite of not just the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, but the sin of Cain in rejecting that place. Now, is Seth the promised son? No. No. He's a promised son, but he is not the promised son. We know that because we know the rest of the book. But to make a big deal out of the names because it shows you the disregard the parents had is the epitome of what we call an argument from silence. Yeah, for sure. And making mountains of theology out of molehills of meaning. Peter means rock. Does that mean he can't do anything because he's just supposed to roll down hills and sit there and grow moss? <laughs> I never thought about it that way, but no. That's... I mean, come on now. Yeah. This is this is the silliness of this. Mm -hmm. I mean... <laughs> I mean... Jacob's a trickster. He can't possibly be any good. Yeah. I mean, you, you can right, go down a right. lot of... A lot of bad roads when this becomes your underlying hermeneutic, which is why word definition is not your underlying hermeneutic, but the context that defines the word definition is your undergirding principle. Yeah, yeah that, that should be underscored heavily. <laughs> the, can I speak that in bold? <laughs> yeah, right, right. That, that's one of the problems that I think we have in, in Christianity in all levels, even PhD level people is their inability sometimes to read in context. Well, we're magnifying words at the right. sake of what? At the sake well, of, of meaning. At the, yeah, at the sake of meaning, right. We, we, we fill pages upon pages. This is the warning from Ecclesiastes. Did, did, the writing of books is endless. Right. Well, we can write them till kingdom come, and what will it accomplish? Yeah, it's all meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. This would be what Paul told Timothy would be empty chatter suitable for only old women. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Why? Because what else do the old women have to do but sit around and chatter. engage in empty chatter? Right. So there you go. So the Bible sets up Cain as the noble main character. No, it didn't. And Abel is almost an afterthought. No, it didn't. Keep in mind, I read you the yeah. introduction. It's all of five verses. This guy's getting a lot out of five. You thought I took a long time on verses on a Sunday morning. Come on now. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, Cain is the one who comes up with the idea to make an offering. In the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord. Again, the Bible doesn't say that. I'm sure that nowhere does it. By Adam the way, probably was teaching his children before you even get there. Yeah. Wagging the finger, you ready? Yep, wag that finger. Christian, person aware of the understanding and history of your Bible, 
who invented the offering? That'd be God. Yes, in Genesis 3, when he makes the animal, when he sacrifices the animal to make coverings for Adam and Eve, and he covers their nakedness, a symbol of their sin, with a sacrificed animal. God comes up with offerings, not Cain. So where did Cain get the idea? Just sitting around one day, you know, growing his veggies, checking out Abel's flock, seeing what's going on. Be like, you know, I got an idea, bro. Let's offer stuff to God. All right, yeah. And then brings a deficient offering. Wrap your brain around that. No. No, see, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works, okay? This is insane. This doesn't make sense. I didn't realize how much this annoyed me until I was reading this a second time now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you're getting a little animated (laughs) over here. I'm sorry. (sighs) (laughs) Read your Bible in context, bro. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. Right? Right, there's okay. lots of things that he's making. Abel simply right. follows. Ah, uh, but doesn't Abel bring the best of his flock while well, Cain just brings middling produce? In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel for his part, part for his part brought the firstlings of the flock their fat portions. So the English translations of this verse are pretty misleading. For his part makes it sound like Abel in contrast to Cain brought good stuff. No, it doesn't. No, that's a meaning you've added to this understanding. But the Hebrew behind the translation is gam hu. I don't know. Who's gam? <laughs> gam hu. And that phrase does not set up contrast. It actually means similarly. Yeah. And for his part, Cain brought the produce of the ground. And for his part, because Abel is a keeper of the flocks, he brings an offering appropriate with his vocation. Right. Did We made this point already, didn't we? Yes. Okay, just making sure. Yeah. But the Hebrew behind... Oh, sorry, I just read Game Who, sorry. So what the verse really says is that Abel was imitating the high quality of Cain's offering. No, it doesn't. What? No, it doesn't. Yeah, I got kind of... I read this when you sent it to me, but it's been a while since I've read it again. You see, I, I haven't read it since I sent it to you either, and that's why I'm so annoyed, because I've realized yeah. just how bad it is. Yeah. No, it doesn't, it doesn't say that. It doesn't imply that. Now, I'm going to stop real quick, because mm-hmm. are you already seeing the problem? This is being presented to you. When you understand... Okay. Let me re- let me reset this sentence. Okay, let's start with the biblical reference first. It'll make more sense. Not wishing to hold the sound doctrine, they're accumulating teachers, you know, to to it tickle their yeah, itching ears and things yeah. like that. That's mm-hmm. the Michael translation of Second Timothy. Um, this is what that looks like. Do you notice how we are immediately imparting interpretation to the translation? Now, does all translation require some level of interpretation? Yeah. Yes. You have to make decisions within the semantic range. We talked about that. Mm -hmm. This, however, is going beyond that. It is implying meaning and understanding just simply based on not the semantic range, but how the sentence is structured. This is dangerous. This is ignoring what is going on. if you'd like to summarize this well, this is what it looks like to miss the forest for the trees. Yeah. We're spending so much time studying this portion of this sentence that you're actually missing where it fits into the larger context. And this is where I'm going to toot my own horn for a minute. This is why you so rarely, if you follow along or pay attention, you will ever find me with short passages on a Sunday morning for a sermon time. Because it bugs me to no end to cut up what is a unit of thought. 
Right. And I know numerous Bible teachers that I love and respect have been doing that for decades. But Yeah, they're topical teachers. And they, well, even the guys that verse by verse, they will yeah. break up the thought unit over the course of many weeks. It just bugs me too much to do that. I can't handle it. I'm over right. there twitching in the corner. So it's like, well, there's some stuff we just won't cover in depth simply because I want to keep this unit of thought together because I want I want Bible readers to train themselves to think in terms of unit of thought. Yeah. And this is why, because this is what ends up happening. You are so dividing the unit that you miss the fact that you're in the middle of this massive forest because you're just studying this one tree. Is there a place for that? Yes. Is that place when you're trying to make application? Probably no. not. Probably no. not. No. Yeah. So, we're supposed to be as stunned as Cain when we then read, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. Wait, what? But just as importantly, like, okay, so let's say Cain is right to be stunned. How do we get from there to murder? The answer, I believe, lies in God's enigmatic words to Cain just after rejecting his offering. So let's take a look. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? I'm sorry, I'm doing the voice of God. I should be, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? Because all Bible characters are British. Didn't you British, know? right, yeah. right. If you do well, will not you be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door and its desire, Tashuka, is for you, but you must master it. See, this is why Tashuka would be a great restaurant name. It means desire. Come on, this, uh, this, You're is, right. You're this right. is a win. I just get, if you know anybody that sells those little couches, shoot me an email, okay? <laughs> when you read like that, in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the Veggie Tales. <laughs> it's now time for Silly Songs with Larry, the portion right. of the That's program exactly. where Larry sings a silly song. <laughs> so, okay, we have desire for you. So, this sounds pretty cryptic. Not really. But it also, it's also the only thing we hear before Cain kills Abel, so it must be pretty important. But what does it mean? Oh, ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me, pick me. Cain is upset because he has been rejected by God. Why has he been rejected by God? Because there's a problem in the heart condition before God, right. and he is therefore being pointed out that he is upset and that sin is the temptation that is undertaken here, and he must overcome it by doing what? <laughs> Reorienting his heart towards God. That's yeah. not cryptic at all. Not at all. That's almost like it's consistent with the entirety of the gospel presentation in the both Old and New Testaments. Right. I mean... See why context matters, kids? M Michael says something a lot in church, and he says that we lie to ourselves more than anyone mm -hmm. else does. So I think there's a level of him mm -hmm. lying to himself, thinking that he's doing right, but God knows our heart. And so God saw what he was doing, mm -hmm. and... and he was encouraging him like a good father would have. Yes. It, it wasn't a complete, you know, crush him into the ground. Yeah, he didn't get the moment. back of the hand. No, he, he didn't. He, he got mercy and grace. Yes. Again, almost like God is demonstrating his love and grace right. to his people. Because, by the way, remember when Cain's punishment is softened? Because remember, Cain is supposed to be a wanderer of the land and never settling. And what does he do five seconds after that? Yeah, he, he says he's building. He's be, it's almost like there was grace and mercy even for... Cain. Cain. It's, right. a, it's amazing how this works. So, <clears throat> the answer is that this actually is the second time the word appears in Scripture. Where's the first? Like five seconds ago. Think back to the story of Adam and Eve. When God curses him, here's what he tells Eve in Genesis 3.16. Your desire, Tashuka, shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Right. This sentence is nearly identical to what God tells Cain. Teshuka plus the root for rule 
what does this tell us? Oh, boy. You ready? Yeah. Well, first we need to figure out what Tashuka means. Okay. Thought you just told us. Yeah. Wait, I hear you ask. Didn't you already say it means desire? Okay, so that's technically one of the top mistranslations of all time. That's a claim right there. That is. So what does Tashuka mean? Well, that's the issue. It only appears three times in Scripture, and we've already seen two of them. We'll see the third instance later, but spoiler, it's not going to help us any more than the first two. Our only hope is to look for other cases in the Bible where the roots S, W, and K appear. Now, unfortunately, it's a very rare root, but fortunately, those cases do help. I am just having a lot of problems with this. See, I, I hate that he puts the, it puts it in SWK because is that supposed to be? Um, That's the root. Yeah, I know. Root, but, but what um, letters are those actually? Do you know how many Hebrew letters can make a K sound? Well, it's the sheen, the kuf. Is that is it C? Is was well? My question is SWK. Would that be seen vav? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And that is, but that is that is that calf, or is. Cough. Is that Do you see what I'm getting yeah, at? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm looking at. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm trying to determine. Yeah, where that came from. But I, I didn't look at it. And I probably should. See, have. That's the problem. Yes, the, the the Hebrew Hebrew language uses root words, and and it can help trying to understand the nuances of a word and where it came from. This, but like like we pointed out earlier, the the actual context will tell you, and the in the way that the Bible uses the word three times. To mean literally the same thing, it should tell the reader this is how the the, the author meant for it to be understood. Here it is. Take a look at yeah. Psalm 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the sir, the thirsty, shokakah, and the hungry he fills with good things. The root here and elsewhere in the Bible always appears in the context of famine and thirst. It means hungry more broadly. Well, when I'm hungry, what do I have for food? What would be another way to describe a hunger for food? Would you say longing? Yeah, yeah. Want? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, right. In other words, craving. You're craving something, you're So, what would be a word that would be synonymous with hunger, want, craving, longing, but would be appropriate in a non-food setting? Would maybe desire right. be that word? Yep. Senor Thesaurus? <laughs> Senor Thesaurus. Yeah, you say that. Sen you even... Senor Thesaurus. I mean, come on. Come on. Okay, oh, we're back is... to even. We're back to Eve. Okay. The problem with translating Teshuka as desire in Genesis 3 is that it makes the verse seem like one long sentence. Childbirth will be difficult, but you'll still desire your husband, and so he'll control you. But Teshuka doesn't mean desire in that sense at all. What? Teshuka means hunger, as in literal hunger and thirst. So the verse isn't referring to Eve's carnal desire for her husband. It's actually previewing Adam's own curse. Agriculture! What? This guy is out of so, his mind. Okay, so let me just use the word hunger. So let me go So let me go back to this. Okay, hold on. Hold, hold, hold on. Back hold the, on. Back the truck up. Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle. Okay, that's the snake and to um, the... the Where's shoot? I lost my spot. The man named. Where, oh my goodness! I have lost my place. Where is Eve? The serpent deceived me. You go to the belly. There you go. To the woman he said, "I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your hunger will be for your husband, and he will rule over you." That's obviously talking about the barley fields. I mean, duh. Because that's what I would have understood it as, wouldn't you? 
<sighs> Come on, man. Yeah, this is almost as bad as the serpent seeds. Now, stuff. is there some poeticness to what God is doing here? Yes. Of course. So, who wants bad 80s references for th- for 800, Alex? I, I, I do. Okay. Yeah. When Duran Duran told you that you were hungry like the wolf, that meant you needed food immediately, right? No, it meant you wanted what? <laughs> what is every music, what is every song that's pop culture related about? Drugs or sex? Yeah. If you don't understand what the song's about, try to figure out how it's about drugs or sex and it'll make sense to you. Yeah, that's for sure. There you go. There you go. Interesting, yeah. Oh, shoot, the other guy's name just went right out of my head. Oh, no, um, Eric, um, Eric, um... Clapton? No, not, uh, Carmen. Carmen. Eric Carmen. Eric Carmen. Hungry eyes. Oh, yes. Yes, that's because he looked at her and thought of a Whopper. (laughs) It's like the modern-day Song of Solomon. Oh, Lord. Your eyes are like the nuggets of McDonald's. Hung... You satisfying your, you a hunger calling. on an empty day that's yeah. that's what that's what he was singing about yeah dude was singing hungry eyes because he was talking about the fact that he had missed lunch two poetic those are ex- really good examples of how you really, demonstrating that hunger yeah. can be used for what yeah. desire yes. longing wanting yes. again senior thesaurus is undefeated here right this is this so is so bad so let's let's Ozzy Osbourne this thing and go off on the crazy train of agriculture, shall we? Okay. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you shall eat of it. Adam's curse is that he will need to work the ground for food. No, Adam's curse is that his working of the ground will be work. He was already tending the garden. Right. He was already planting and doing... Ugh! Where are we at here? Oh, here, curse is the ground. And Eve, her curse is that when she's hungry, she'll need to rely on unreliable men. Your hunger will be for your husband and he will rule over you means that she needs food and his lousy self won't give it to her. That's what this man just said. I can't even, as the kids would say. That's insane. Yeah, that's really bad exegesis. Or isogesis. I was. This isn't even isogesis. This is. I, I don't even know. Yeah, this it's is hard to Jesus. quantify that. <laughs> <laughs> help me, Jesus. Jesus, take his keyboard because I can't take it anymore. <sighs> <sighs> okay. Adam's curses. He will need to worry about. It. So, how should we translate the verse? Your hunger, Tashuka, shall be directed at your husband, so he shall rule over you. Because that's what that means. When a woman's hunger is directed at his at her man, it is because she demands that he give her bread. Unless bread just became another euphemism for something. I don't think that's what that sentence would mean. No. And I don't think anyone in human history would think that that's what that sentence would mean. Your hunger will be for your husband, and he will feed you. What the, what the, I'm, you know, yeah, that, you know right. those scenes in the Bugs Bunny cartoon when he drinks the potion... And then, like, his face scrunches and the ears go in different directions. (laughs) That's what my brain is doing, trying to make sense of this. Right, right, right. That's what's happening He's really forcing, trying to force the meaning. And anybody, anybody who can actually read would see, should be able to see right through this. I like how you forgot the word Hebrew there, so it comes out as anyone who can actually read would see how bad this is. (laughs) 
Well, actually, the the, the, no, the, the you, English versions are, are quite this is, good. This and, is insane. Yeah, this, this is, is insane. Right. Yeah, this is not right. It's not a statement about marriage or sexual desire or anything like that. Rather, it's about the tragedy of Tashuka, of hunger, of dependency. Do you see what he did, though? The law of first use sometimes is, is a very good tool to see how biblical authors use the word. And so he, in order for him to push his crazy interpretation he has to go back to the first use of this word and change its meaning and change its meaning and that and ignore the context and ignore everything yes so that's terrible that's so that's that's, that's really want, bad if you want a pop culture version of the law of first use that lou is mentioning it's called occam's razor mm-hmm. the simplest explanation is always the best so if you come home and you left cookies on the counter when you left and the cookies are gone and you look at the dog and you go i wonder if the dog ate the cookies And the dog tells you, because it's Balaam's dog, so it can talk. (laughs) So the dog looks at you and says, (laughs) No, see, what had happened was there was a freak storm, and and there was lightning, and I jumped, and the cookies, when I jumped, I landed on the ground, and the cookie pan fell over, and then a plague of mice erupted from the vent work, and they devoured all the cookies and ran off with them. Okay. That's, That's plausible. Or the dog ate the cookies. Or the dog ate the cookies. Occam's razor would tell you what happened. The dog ate the cookies. The dog ate the cookies. That's how this works. And then you need to wake up because dogs don't talk, okay? Mm. Life, <laughs> yeah, right. life might be better dreaming. or worse if they could. You're I'm not dreaming. entirely sure. So the sin, of, the sin of Adam and Eve introduces hierarchy and power into human affairs where before there was none. I love that sentence. See, 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 before the sin. Adam and Eve were, were just this egalitarian duo oh, tending we the garden there, yeah. together, and there was no stronger or weaker. There was no I came first. There was there was none of that. There was there was no help meet. There was no you were created as 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 a meeting of a need. There was none of that. There was there was just companionship and equality in all of the purest forms. Right. Of course. That that's you're good at this, man. It's just like ad hoc, man. You just let it let uh, it go. Can human beings live in such a world? No, because such a world doesn't exist. Right. They have a better chance of living in Narnia. Okay. I, I like Narnia. You're you're better off trying to find Vulcan. This was the question Cain and Abel, the very next generation, were charged with answering. Oh, Where? Where? Yeah. <laughs> In yeah. third hesitations? I mean, fourth Corinthians? Come on, man. Help me out. Hook a brother up. Tell me where that Bible verse is. Please, I'm begging you. Right. Or even examples of it in, in the world. Anywhere in Scripture anywhere. at all. Yeah. Like, anywhere. Right. I'll wait. Yeah. You won't find it. <laughs> and now we can understand why God references his words to Eve when he speaks to Cain. Put yourself in Cain's shoes. You've just approached God with an offering. The first in history to do so. Except that you weren't. But anyway. Only to experience rejection. See, Cain is just the jilted lover. Hmm. You know, he, he has been... First he was afraid. And then he was petrified. And now he's thinking, I can't live without you by my side. <laughs> To make things worse, your brother, a nobody, a Hevel, remember a meaningless, finds favor with God. You think to yourself, am I not enough for God? Ooh, ooh, the Bible answers that question too. And the answer is, no, you're not. You're not good. 
Yeah. You are like Fallen. filthy garments. You are broken. You are. I mean, come on, man. I this mean, this in our original state, God says that we are good, but we are. But fallen, we're not good anymore. That's and we're broken. Yes. And that's the whole purpose of the offering. I mean, a perfect person doesn't need to do what these guys are doing to do to cover sin. They're amazing, yeah. and that's when God intervenes. Oh. He warns Cain against the dangerous side of dependency, judging yourself by another. He what? So God's message to Cain is you're perfect just the way you are. He's Bruno Mars now. Because you're amazing just the way you are. The way you are. And come on. Come on. What, what is What is that? This is great. After all, God turning towards Abel's offering doesn't mean God values Abel more than Cain. God measures Cain on his own merits, not someone else's. Yes, yes, Cain has been weighed, measured, and found, found wanting. wanting. Yeah. He, he, he's got nothing. Mm -hmm. In fact, nowhere in the text does God explain why he accepts one offering and rejects the other. Now, that's true. Yeah. I but I think the context of Scripture can help us. It's intentionally left a mystery. So God says to Cain, you have a choice. You can choose to obsess over Abel's relationship with me, or you can cultivate your own. See, this is God just sitting there waiting for someone to love him. Just a lonely deity, yeah. alone in the universe with no one to love me. Love me, love me. <laughs> Say that you'll love me. Oh, boy. Sorry, Swedish rock band from the 90s. You're on a roll, I'm man. telling you, it's a bad week. Ah, uh, but in a fallen world, in a world cursed with hierarchy and power relationships, how can a person do that? Mm. Well, says God, by learning that power can be used to protect and not victimize. What? Where, we Where did that? that come from? Right. Where is that coming from? I can, I'm, I'm going to look this guy up because I've never heard of him. The guy that wrote After all, it's not just humans that are dependent upon each other for survival. You know what else is dependent upon human beings for its survival? Sin. He wrote it, not me. Yeah, I know it. So bad. So bad. See, 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 sin needs you. Like the flowers need the rain. You know it needs you. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't. Should. I'm to the point where you can't take this seriously. Yes, this is now. I'm gonna pause. Pretty real quick. bad. Yeah. I'm gonna pause because you've hit on it a minute ago by ignoring the context of chapters three and four, mm -hmm. and by focusing on what would be a secondary, a contextually secondary meaning of one word. Mm -hmm. We have changed the meaning of the text. Then, based on that meaning. We have read our understanding of our world into the text and are then using that faulty context and our new understanding as a means of moving towards application. For sure. We have located ourselves and our world as the center of the text and how we wish to determine it. And then we are taking our pet peeves of the world and trying to define them biblically. Right. Other than that, this is perfect. <laughs> Other than doing every single thing wrong. But isn't that what we're seeing more and more often today? Mm -hmm. I mean, in denominations that used to be solid and, yes. you know, rightly dividing the Word of God, now we see this attack on interpretation. And it all centered on what you just said, on yourself, 
and reading our interpretations in so that we can deal with some of these pet peeves that we have in our culture today. And we're coming at it from the wrong... You, you, you say this all the time. You have to start with God mm-hmm. and work your way back to man instead of man to God. One of my favorite verses for this situation. Is it is it holding, Nehemiah? Holding no. to a form of godliness, <laughs> yeah. but denying its power. Exactly, exactly. That's what the, that's what this looks like. This sounds all super spiritual, and and he probably says it when he reads it, and he says it in this really calm and in soothing voice, like he's your therapist trying to talk you off the ledge, and that's how it comes across, you know, with skinny jeans and the band playing in the background again, you know, because the band only knows. Talk him right off the edge. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's that's how that's how this is presented. You know that it is. You know that this guy is never going to get animated. He's never going to get excited. He's never going to quote bad '70s disco songs to you, and that's why he's lesser than. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, so, hence God's word to Cain: If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its hunger, Teshuka, is for you, but you must master it. So again, sin hungers for you, Cain. Because we're feeding sin it. Sin wants it you. It depends on humanity. To, it's what it, is it is sin like alien where they, they, they latch onto your face and then the thing jumps out of your stomach later on oh i imagine that's kind of that's oh kind of, no that see i oh no oh no i've just created another evangelical trend right there haven't i somebody's gonna hear that and be like dude here's our next sermon illustration for sin it's like the face suckers an alien huh. and sin latches onto you and sucks the life out of you and then it bursts forth in all its ugliness in your life man oh you're good at this <laughs> Is this a new sermon series? Yes, yes, yes. Sigourney Weaver and the Gospel. (laughs) I'm coming. The sad part is that really flowed as a title, didn't it? It did. It did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she's got to figure out how to work those mech things from Aliens into it. You know, when she like crushes the 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 queen, the alien queen. Yes, I remember the movie. Yes, uh Mm -hmm. we got to figure out how to work that into it. (laughs) And how does half an android fit in? That'll be Elon somewhere. See, this is coming together. Yeah, I'm thinking we'll, about we'll, it. We'll, we'll play this on loop at the Tashuka. It'll you know be on in the background while you eat your lamb and hummus. <laughs> <laughs> sure, dependency can be a curse. It taught us the use of power. And that can lead to one person dominating another person. But we can use that power for good, to rule over sin. After all, sin requires humans to exist, and that gives us the ability to defeat it. By getting rid of the people, right? If sin requires humans, then the only way to defeat the sin is to get rid of the people. Hmm. Isn't that kind of the lesson of the flood? Yeah. That, you know, we can wipe out all the people except for this one righteous family, and what still haven't we wiped out? Sin. So so how... Now, stop for a second. That, that is something only the Messiah can yeah. eventually... Good Christian response to this is, we must conquer sin. You're right! How?! We have to die to sin, yeah. But we can't overcome sin. We are held by its power. We are held by its presence. We are slaves to sin because we have committed sin. It is only through Christ's imputed righteousness that we overcome. And even then, this side of the veil, this side of sanctification and right. glorification, we are at war based on the power of the Spirit and the accomplishments of Christ. Right. And our pursuit to be more like Christ, our sanctification, our lives change, but that until we are resurrected and we are as he is, mm-hmm. we're going to have this sin problem. Yes. We're going to be And that's what you're falling. going to the, the next. This, is my, this might be my favorite one so far. Okay. That's the point of the Cain and Abel story. How do we live in a world of teshuka, of dependency and power? 
So we have taken a word that means to desire, mm -hmm. hyper-focused that definition on the word hunger, then recognized that there are people who are hungry and don't have, assumed that is because there are other people that have and won't give it to them. Therefore, Teshuka actually means that there are broken power dynamics in the world. <laughs> I, I just can't. I, I'm having a hard time you following You can't his see how you got there of, from here. Right. I, I can't follow his train of thought here. I think he's, I think he's very, very wrong here. Would Cain try to best his brother whom he believed had bested him and on and on? Or could he instead try to repair the sin of Adam and Eve by besting himself? The tragedy of Cain is that he chooses wrong. He chooses power over his brother instead of power over himself. So that's what the Cain and Abel story is about. But is that it? We're all cursed to live in a world of dependency forevermore? Well, the answer is yes. But that's when the Bible prompts us to ask ourselves one more question. What if that's a beautiful thing? Oh, Lord. Because remember what I told you about Teshuka? No. It appears three times in the Bible. We've seen two. What about the third one? This, this is here we go. It turns, just like the first two instances, the third one also refers to interpersonal relationships. And like the original Genesis 3.16, the third one too is set in the context of the relationship between husband and wife. The third one is from Song of Songs. Song of Songs records the relationship between the lover and her beloved, the grandest, most sublime metaphor for Israel's relationship with God. So he's taking an allegorical approach to Song of Solomon, right, yeah. which I would disagree with. But, you know, we'll go with it. In 7.16, we find the lover, Israel, proclaim about her beloved God, I am in my beloved, and his desire, Teshuka, is for me. So Israel is saying that God wants to eat them. Wouldn't, based on what we've heard so far, wouldn't that be what that is? Right, right. He's Since hungry. it has to mean hunger, yeah, and, is, and God is hungering for Israel, then, you know, like a pack of ribs, God's going to have a little bit of Jacob on his elbows or something? That's that's where this thing falls apart. I mean, you... now I would take a more literal view of Song of Solomon and say, wait, wait, no, no, no. This is actually the the bride proclaiming that her beloved wants her. Right. Which spoiler alert, Christian, you're supposed to want your wife. Right. It's not lust when you're married. <laughs> well, it's lust, but you're allowed. You're supposed to. Right. Right. Like it's it's one of those. I don't even know how to explain this. You're an adult. Figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> This is the third occurrence of the word Teshuka, and it's absolutely staggering. Not really. The only time we've ever seen this word in the Bible, it's referred to the curse of Eve, the curse of dependency and power, and its repercussions for her son Cain. But here it refers to God. In this case, the one who experiences Teshuka, dependency, is not Eve towards Adam. It's not sin towards Cain or Cain towards Abel. It's God towards us. So God needs us like the flowers need the rain. This is I've heard this a couple times this week in some of my devotional listenings and um it's like we complete God does not need us. We need him. I, I just it's just so strange to so, hear so, somebody So apparently God is Jerry Maguire. <laughs> you complete me. Right. <laughs> right. I I just it's such so foreign to me. No but, wait, 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 no. I've We're Jerry some... Maguire. Okay. We're Jerry Maguire. And we look at God and say, you complete me. And then God gives us the, you had me at hello. <laughs> oh, Lord. There you go. 
<sighs> Song of Songs is telling us that dependency is only a curse if we make it so. Consider what makes a good relationship. Is it a total self-sufficiency by both parties? Of course not. Two people who don't need each other aren't in a relationship. Do you mean it's not perfect egalitarianism? Mm -hmm. They just happen to be standing next to each other. No, the best relationships require vulnerability. Dependency can become poisonous when it's one-directional. Down that road leads totalitarianism, the sin of Babel. This, that came out of left field. The wow. sin of Babel is totalitarianism. Not pride, mm -hmm. not a rejection of God and his command. The right. sin of Babel is totalitarianism. That's the, I've literally never heard that before. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. That's I want to go find his... Um, we're going to have to grab that one because he's got a thread on Tower of Babel and I'm like, I am made of questions. <laughs> but mutual dependency, when two people acknowledge they need each other, that's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. This guy is far out, man. <laughs> That's the secret of Teshuka. Yes, it can be a curse. Hunger, desire, envy, helplessness, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. But that very curse can also become a blessing. It can be sanctified. So much so that in Song of Songs, God uses that very word Teshuka to describe himself. And the amazing thing about Song of Songs is that you can already see its roots all the way back in Genesis 4. Just a few verses after Adam and Eve, God already whispered to Cain that Teshuka needn't be a curse. It can be, it can be the source of strength. So, in the end, Genesis 3 tells us that unfortunately we can bring evil into the world. Genesis 4 shows us that we can transform evil into good, though we might fall in this. And Song of Songs? Well, Song of Songs reminds us that God himself is with us as we keep trying. Wow. Thus endeth the train wreck. Oh, man. Wasn't that phenomenal? That is so hard to fathom where he comes up with that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna look into this guy a little bit. Yeah, I mean, see, you're see like his, me now. You're like I, I have so many questions. I want to see what his credentials are and if he can really read the Hebrew or if he's uh, just. So you know, no, you know what? Because yeah, I didn't really see a whole lot of exegetical work on the Hebrew. Because there isn't. Yeah. That's insane. That's broken word study. So you know, let's let's get a palate cleanser, shall we? Okay. And let's actually get it from Genesis four. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Yes. In other words, in spite of our sin, in spite of our brokenness, God's promise holds true. God's work will be accomplished, and we are not undoing it, regardless of how bad this guy's exegesis actually is. So what have we learned here today, children? Let's see. Word studies can be very, very bad. They don't have to be, but they can be. You must, must, must read your Bible in context above all else. Context is king, always has been, always will be. And then the third thing is, oh my goodness, false teachers abound. Yes. And they disguise themselves as angels of light. Christian, if it sounds weird, it probably is. If it sounds wrong, it probably is. Go back to the beginning read in context, understand your chapters, and make sense of these things, and you will not be led astray by this foolishness because you will see it for what it is. So, when in doubt, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.